You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. This is the opening paragraph to what is called the Athanasian Creed. It's an early, early statement of faith. Um, you know, most churches, uh, certainly most denominations, have some kind of either creed or a statement of faith or a declaration of faith, some kind of list of their beliefs. And so the early church had this as well. And we, we sometimes um, at uh, Oasis will re- reference the Apostles' Creed. In fact, it's on our website as kind of what we believe, kind of early summation of, of what we believe. But this is from uh, another early creed, and again, this is kind of the opening statement. It says, We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and, the Ho- and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal their majesty co-eternal. So that was an early church's attempt to kind of talk about kind of who God is. Now, when we talk about who God is, I mean, there's so much that I want to say, and I'm going to try and not, uh, I'm going to try not to make any mistakes that our little animated St. Patrick made. But I'm also going to try and address what the, the two Irish fellows asked for like, be, be plain, be simple, be as clear as possible. So, we'll say this. Um, first, I'll say this. The doctrine of the Trinity, I think, in some ways, is useless. <laughs> Which is a funny thing to say, right? Um, but what do I mean by that? It's not a utility. It's not, it's not a, a lever. It's not, it doesn't, it's not something you can take and kind of work to your advantage in some way. And this is really important, I think, because this is what it means to know, truly know anyone. Like, your relationship to someone should never be as just you're the subject and they're an object and you can just know them, or you're a subject and they're an object and somehow you can maximize that relationship. Because we we call that objectifying someone, right? And we objectify people all the time in our culture, um, particularly women get objectified, both by men and sometimes by other women. Uh, children get objectified, right? They become these tools for us, like, hey, can you bring me some sweet tea? Hey, hand, hand dad the remote control, right? Sometimes our spouses get objectified. Certainly our employees get objectified. We sometimes objectify public servants, we objectify, you know, school teachers, and we objectify firefighters, and we objectify police officers, because we, we don't treat others as truly subjects, but rather we treat them really as objects, as things to use. And so when we talk about the Trinity, we're talking about who God is and who God has revealed us, revealed God's self to us. And so it's not, it's not something to be used, like, what can I do with this knowledge, it is it's just something to know. It's something we couldn't have figured out. It's something that had to be shown to us. And it has been. And it's been shown to us particularly through Scripture 
and maybe most especially through the person of Jesus. So what the Old Testament calls, you know, the Lord God Almighty, right? Yahweh in Hebrew. The New Testament will refer to as Father, Son, and Spirit. Like that's how God is described, right? So it's not as though Jesus is the Son of Yahweh, but Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus, Jesus is divine, not partially divine. That's partialism, Patrick, <laughs> right? But, but fully, that was pretty good. <laughs> I didn't even rehearse that. But, but fully, fully divine. It is who Jesus is. And so, again, I would say what the Old Testament calls God, or the Lord God Almighty, the New Testament will refer to as Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the early church would eventually just use this kind of summation word of Trinity to describe that. And I think this really does show us who God is. And it's the revelation, the truth of it, is valuable, even if it's not usable. It's valuable because we get to know God. And we get to know God for who God is. And part of what it reveals to us about God is, is what the New Testament tells us elsewhere, like in 1 John, where it says God is love. It doesn't mean God is like love. It doesn't mean that God is loving. That God is love. That that love is who God is and that God has always loved. Even before there was a creation. That even before there was something else other than God, there, God was still love because the Father has always been the Father and the Son has always been the Son. There never was a time the Son was not and there's never a time that the Father was not. So the Father is eternal and the Son is eternal. And because of that, the Father has always loved the Son. And the Son has always loved the Father. So that love really is who God is. Like, like that has been forever. Even, again, before there was a creation. Before there was a you or a me. Before there was an Adam or Eve. Before there were stars and planets. God was still love because of this kind of internal uh, relationship within the Trinity where, the, again, the Father has always loved the Son and the Son has loved the Father. Now, uh, part of the church tradition would often sometimes, in an attempt to describe what is obviously a, a mystery, uh, a revelation, they would talk about um, the lover, the beloved, and then the love itself between them. The lover the beloved, and the love. So in that analogy, the lover is God, the beloved is the Son, and then the Spirit is the love. Like we sometimes will talk about this, we'll talk about like the spirit of a, of a meeting or the spirit of a relationship. Like um, if we've all gotten together, I don't know, for a meal, and we can talk about, man, like the, the spirit of this meeting has been great. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like I love the spirit of, of sober mesa, like our, our times together after the service. I just love it. I love the feel of it, right? And then you've, I'm sure you've worked on certain teams. You've been in certain groups where somehow 
it clicks and it, it works so very well. And like the spirit of the group is like something in and of itself. Like we're, we're more than just the, 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 um, sum, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. When we say like the spirit of a group, we don't necessarily mean an actual entity. We're kind of speaking almost metaphorically. But in Christian belief and practice, we believe that the spirit of the, of the relationship between the Father and the Son of that community actually is an entity. It is the love. And so we have the, the love, the beloved, and the lover as the Father, the, the Son, and the Spirit. So one of the things I hope that we can kind of take away from today is that God is love, and this is part of what the Trinity teaches us. The second thing is, is this idea that the knowing this kind of doctrine of the Trinity is something that kind of helps us relate to God as a subject and not just as an object. So not only is it possible for us to objectify other people, sometimes even the most well-intended Christians will objectify God so that God becomes an object, right? God becomes something that I can use. Like, hey God, I need this. Hey God, I need that. Hey God, why don't you do this? Hey God, why don't you do that? So that I'm not really loving God. I'm not trying to know God. I'm just using God. Like, we end up having the same kind of bad relationship, at least on our side of the equation with God, as we do with the people that we take advantage of. And we just don't want to be that way. Martin Buber, a um, Jewish philosopher, wrote this wonderful book called I and Thou. You know, I and You. And the title of it is to, um, he contrasts the idea between I and you with I and it. And so the it there can be something like, I don't know, this music stand or this platform I'm standing on. Or the, the analogy that he uses in the book is a tree. Or the I uh, and it can even be another person. So Buber talks about his wife and the way he's been relating to his wife sometimes, not as a you, but he's been relating to his wife as an it. And so Buber kind of calls us not to do that. Like every relationship, he says, can be between an I and a you. And that, but that requires us to treat others and even other things as valuable subjects. So you all know, as a, for a living, I, I teach in the college. And, um, but when we think, when we think about the, the topics or the classes that I teach, I could think about the topic, like one of the things I teach a lot is scripture. I, I, I teach courses on the Bible. So we could think about that as um, an object to be studied, like the scripture is an object to be studied. And then I kind of sit kind of in a seat of judgment, kind of measuring it and accounting for it and, you know, rightly dividing it and interpreting it. But um, kind of looking around at the younger ones in the room, some of you might have to really think for a while to remember this. 
But when you were in school, you might ask um, how many classes are you taking? But, and you would be able to answer that, right? If you're in school, how many classes are you taking? What classes are you taking? No one ever asks you what objects are you taking? How many objects do you have this semester? <laughs> what do we ask? Subjects. subjects. Yeah, exactly. How many subjects are you taking? Because the idea is that you're going to relate to what you study as a subject, as something that can be known, but as something that also helps you know yourself, right? So it's, a, it's an I and you relationship to the topic, not an I and it relationship to the topic, the, the subjects. So we, we have a subject that we're studying, and we all have this kind of relationship to it. You didn't need to know. That's my, my personal kind of philosophy of education. <clears throat> but it relates to what I'm trying to talk about today because I believe the Trinity both teaches us the depth and the, and the extent to which God is love, and it, is, it does kind of reveal to us that God is this, this subject, not just this object to be known about, but this one to be truly known. There's something else that I think this as Doctrine of the Trinity does for us, and we, we actually titled today's sermon, The Same But Different. And, I, and I don't, I'd love to know if... Uh, if the two little Irish guys would be chastising me with, with the phrase, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, Robbie. <laughs> right, so it's not the same but different, right? Because I think that would lead us to modalism uh, or partialism or even worse, Arianism. These kind of early heresies that kind of got it wrong. But same but different. They are the same, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But what really kind of marks them is the fact that they defer. They don't, they don't seek to grab attention. It's not like the Father's like, look at me, I'm the Father, right? But the Father's like, look at the Son. And the Son is like, no, 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 don't look at me, look at the Father. And then the Spirit's like, um, I'm not even here, right? <laughs> Here's the Father, and here's the Son. And so the creed, the, the, the creed that we don't often cite the Athanasian Creed in, in church here, but the creed that we do cite, the Apostles' Creed, comes in three sections. There's a section on the Father, there's a section on the Son, and there's a section on the Spirit. The section on the Father is fairly short. It's, um, we believe in the, God, the Lord God Almighty, uh, maker of heaven and earth. That's the one on the Father. And then there's kind of a long section about Jesus, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, he descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from which He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. It's a long section on Jesus. We needed a longer section on Jesus because most everybody had the idea that there was a Creator and that he had created all things. But then how did Jesus kind of fit into that? So that, you know, we gave a little bit longer to that. But then the, the last article goes like this. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the one holy apostolic Catholic church and the communion of saints 
and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You might think, man, the Spirit didn't get a lot of uh, airtime on that, <laughs> right? Is that, is that third article even about the Spirit? Is that third, you know, the paragraph, little paragraph on the Father, a big paragraph on Jesus. And how could we even say that third paragraph is about the Spirit? Because he even got the first line and the rest of it seems to be about us. Well, do you know why we can call that about the Spirit? Because if you really are filled with the Spirit of God, you will not focus on the Spirit of God. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will focus on others. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you'll focus on the Father. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you'll focus on the Son. The, the passage that, that Dennis read for us said, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Spirit is the kind of the ultimate act of deference. It's just who God is. God isn't selfish. God doesn't have an ego that needs to be stroked. The very, the very uh, fact that, that the divine became human, Paul writes about this when he wrote to the church in Philippi. He talks about... Um, this divine son being poured out into creation, so much so that he became, you know, part of that, right? He became human. And that he was obedient as a human, so obedient even to a death on the cross, so that the Father then raised him up and set him above all things. <clears throat> and, and, but that wasn't somehow difficult for the son, it wasn't, it wasn't a challenge. It wasn't like it was a, a sacrifice. Because what, what we do get, I think, in a text like that is a revelation. A revelation of who our God really is. And it seems mysterious because if we had some kind of access to greatness and we were kind of uh, not accessing it or deferring it. To us, that would seem like, well, who could do that? But for our God, it's nothing. That's who God is. That God is love and God defers. De the, the deferring to the other is an act of preference. It is an act of <clears throat> love. And that, I think, is who our God is. And so we, we have all of these other texts and we have all of these other practices and we sing these songs and we, can, we confess these creeds. It is just that, uh, confession, right? It's not something we figured out. It's something that was revealed to us. And now we know what we would not have known before. And now we are invited into just that type of relationship. So that we too can be love. That we too can know um, God as a subject and be known as a subject. Not as an object. And that we too can now love Others as subjects, not just as objects. And that we too can become, in the same way God is, 
people who defer, who, who prefer the other, that we don't seek to kind of, um, kind of gain our own. And it, I know this seems so countercultural because our culture will say, get what you can, even if it means at the cost of someone else not getting it. Our culture will celebrate ambition as though it's a great virtue. It will create heroes, but I don't know that it will create saints. And I think being holy is not a matter of holding to some kind of morality, but being holy is being like God. And we would never know whether or not we're being like God unless it was revealed to us what God is like. And I think the Trinity is the revelation that we have received. This is what God is like. Father, Son, and Spirit. Lover, beloved, and love. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-divine, co-glorious. And now we too can be part of that. One, there's a technical term that gets used to what Jesus has now invited us into in terms of relationship, but the term can, can kind of best be translated to dance around. I love that. That what does it mean to be part of this kind of internal community of who God is about love of Father, Son, and Spirit? It's like a dance. And it's not even a formal dance. It's like to like dance around. Almost like a, like a playful dance. Almost like a silly dance. We've, we've cited him before. I, I really love him though. Uh, J.K. Chesterton, a Christian thinker from like a generation ago, said, we, and I think this would include us, my fellow Oasians, we've sinned and we have grown old and our father is younger than we. That part of what the Trinity shows us and this kind of lavish love and this kind of same but different reality is that God's happy. God's joyful. This is why I think in the, in the Gospels, Jesus will say that the kingdom of God is childlike. And that when we embrace that childlike joy and hope, that we're getting closer to who God is. And when we get kind of bogged down with the, with the weight and the kind of hurt of reality, it doesn't kind of get us closer to God, it gets us farther away, which is why I think, you know, sometimes scripture will talk about sin as a burden, like a burden that's been laid on us. And it's just weighing us down and weighing us down and weighing us down. And what God wants to do is say, you're forgiven. Just turn to me. Ask for forgiveness. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. I've, I've, I've provided it. I went through a lot to, to make sure you have it. Look, here it is. I just, I, I want you to join me in this dance. And, 
And I love that. I love that about God. So we're going we're gonna to come and we're going to pray and we're going to share and we're going to receive communion. And uh, we're going to pray that somehow in our hearts, even if our minds struggle to appreciate this concept, maybe in our hearts and maybe even in our bodies, we can um, experience this revelation, this mystery of this God that is love, of this God that is the same but different. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.